0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy, and uh, I'm really excited for you to hear today's guest, NASA Woomer. And one might say she spent 50 or 60 Scaramuchis as George Santos' communications director. So we're going to get to her in a second. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we will read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe and be notified every time we post a new episode. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Nasa Woomer. She served as the former communications director for the now former and disgraced and indicted Congressman George Santos. She's a Republican communications advisor who previously worked for former Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, the Republican Party of Massachusetts, and Representatives Ryan Costello of Pennsylvania, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, and Tim Camp. Of Kansas. She's made various media appearances on MSNBC's The Beat with Ari Melber, CNN This Morning, and CNN's Jim Acosta. NASA, welcome to the back room. Thanks for having me. So, before we get into all the fun George Santos stuff, I want to just peel back the onion a little bit and just, you know, understand where you came from, what, what kind of childhood you had. You said you grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, was it mm-hmm. a political family? And, like, were they liberal? Were they conservative?
1: Um, I would say traditional Republican. I wouldn't say so much, so like really far to the right or Mm -hmm. anything. My mom was actually, she had volunteered um, in local um, GOP politics and was a volunteer for um, former Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg. So it kind of started from there. Mm -hmm. And then um, I just, as I grew up, I started becoming fascinated by Uh, politicians like George H.W. Bush, and it kind of just, you know, kept going from there. And I was even interested in people, even like Bill Clinton. It's just, that's kind of how I just built this interest in politics. And of course, I fell victim to Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. And it just kept going and going. But I also just, because I'm a big history nerd as well, so I really just ingrained myself into politics and understanding the three branches of government and just built it from there. And then went on to intern for, he was my, he's not former Senator, but uh, I interned for Rick Santorum back in the day when um, he was still our junior Senator from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of went from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Your influences I read include people like Peggy Noonan, Ari Fleischer, mm-hmm. Karen Hughes, a name I haven't heard in a yeah. long time. Uh, And James Carville. James Carville. I wouldn't have thrown that one in.
1: I think, you know what, it's it's all about how they're they're respectable people Mm -hmm. and you do not have to be in the terms of James Carville. I mean, he's a he's a political goat and anyone who is a Republican or Democrat, they know the name and there comes this high amount of respect. So you do not have to agree with them politically, but you can respect their craft and what they do. And that's just something I've always respected with James Carville. And also, but I love his his marriage to uh, Mary Matlin because they are obviously complete opposites of one another and and it works for them. And I had the privilege of going to an event back in when they came to my school in 2008 and they were just absolutely they bounce off one another That mm. it also really shows you that it's okay to you know be with someone who is of the opposite political opinion and but also turn it off at the end of the day when they go home and watch their favorite shows so there's just i know it's weird i do like james carville as much as i love peggy noonan
0: no i get it i totally get it and you know carville and madeline they are a throwback to that Tip O'Neill Reagan era that people love to nostalgically think about, we remember what it was and, like before the craziness of today,
1: right? And the, and one of the and let's not forget the the big friendship between uh, the late justices Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Sure. I right. mean, liberal and conservative, and they were the best. Like, I mean, the closest of friends and just incredibly opposite whenever it was there, when they were writing the, whether it was the, you know, the majority or the dissenting opinion um, in a Supreme Court case. And right. they were, it's just, they knew how to divorce themselves from their politics and saw that they had more in common than what would divide them. And, and also... One of my other favorite presidents was Gerald Ford, Mm -hmm. and he was also the original best friend of Tip O'Neill. And I remembered reading somewhere that he had said about he wanted to get to know know, his colleagues from the other side. He said, how can I debate them on the floor if I don't break bread with them and get to know them and their families?
0: Right. You talk about Gerald Ford. I mean – he was a Republican, but like by today's standards, he's Bernie Sanders. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like it, well, it's the, the pendulum Reagan. has, has swung. Yeah, exactly. Especially Ronald Reagan, the standard bearer, yeah. the one who they held up mm-hmm. for the, how many decades? And then all of a sudden today, he's a rhino. I mean, it's just insanity. I just don't know well, if we're ever going to get back to that. I hope we do. I really be-
1: hope we I hope we do, too. And it's like, this is where I try not to lose faith within the party. And I understand one thing that I always remember that Ronald Reagan had said, you know, I didn't lead the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. Right. And it's just there's still you have to, for me. It's also I have to recognize there are certain people that who are still Republicans. And I look at um, who people I look up to now is people like my former boss, Charlie Baker mm-hmm. and Chris Sinunu, Larry mm-hmm. Hogan. These are, you know, very strong republicans who were also successful governors in blue states and they did something right and they didn't compromise their principle they just recognized policy over party at times and their popularity is based off that not because what the republican party wants or whatever it's just well they had a finger on the pulse with their the the people in their state not what Donald Trump wants.
0: The, the party has become a cult of personality. And unfortunately, that personality is someone who is an avowed dictator wannabe. And mm-hmm. that's terrifying. It it's makes you wonder how the party got here. I guess it's all about the fear of the base, right? <laughs> well,
1: and, well, and one of the things that always, it, it, it int- not interests me, but it's, it blows my mind, just even to watch how someone like Governor Ron DeSantis, how he's been completely thrown under the bus and in a way that calling him a rhino calling Ron DeSantis a rhino, um, that's the biggest I think that's the biggest farce right there. I mean, mm-hmm. he's extremely conservative. And the same with Liz Cheney, who right I think by American conservative scorecard, she I think she was a ninety three percent, which she ranked higher than some of the the members who are in the House Freedom Caucus. It's
0: insanity. When you call Liz Cheney a rhino, it is you you are now in delving into. I mean, it's 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 insane. So I want to ask is. you about the breaking news that uh we saw yesterday about uh Mazzy Melissa Pillip. She is running yeah. for uh George Santos, your old boss, his seat. What do you think of her?
1: I actually do not know too much about her. I heard the name here. Here and there, when I was working for Santos, and I think there was a little bit of fear that he had because she, because she actually is Jewish, and um, she does have some name recognition in the area, and I th- obviously has a good relationship with uh, the local officials at the Nassau GOP. Mm-hmm. So I, without really, I can't really give an actual opinion because I don't know her. Um, too much of her where she stands. uh, I don't think most people
0: don't know who she is or where she comes from for the most part.
1: But also, but here's the thing that kind of surprised me because you had, there were great candidates who are also who had announced that they were running, um, months ago. And one in particular is Kellen Curry. Mm -hmm. And I had the privilege of meeting him over the summer. And he actually, he comes with a great, he's a package deal when it comes to a great candidate trying to run for office. He's Obviously, he's a common sense Republican who's tired of the b s that is going on in Washington, but also he has a real financial background that can actually be confirmed unlike if that's certain former boss right uh, veteran, everything you can name under the sun and who actually has a real finger on the pulse with what is going on in new york three and And he also has received great endorsements from good Republicans like. Don Bacon of Nebraska, Congress, um, I should have said Congressman Don Bacon, excuse me, and also uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez down in Texas, like just to name a couple. And, you know, you want to put someone, I would have, if I were advising that as someone I would have wanted to see uh, be pushed forward for the special election. And also use this as an opportunity to kind of even, you know, hold uh tom swasey accountable for this because at the same time he ran against santos in 2020 why was there no back like any type of right. opposition done on santos mm-hmm. back then? because at the end of the day regardless if you've been in office for multiple terms you need to treat it as if you are incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. no matter who um who your opponent is yeah
0: i mean i say this as a as a democrat and also as an, an american jew I think it's a pretty smart move on their part to to put her up. She's forty four years old. She's she's Ethiopian born Israeli American Jew, seven kids. She served as a paratrooper in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, and uh, is a, currently a Nassau County legislator. So she's got a, her foot a little bit in the water. O- and over that's there. an asset. Yeah. So I, I think I that's think a big asset. They're playing too. a card, which is a smart card. They're like capitalizing on. You know, I mean, she's from Great Neck, so she lives in an affluent Jewish community. There's a lot of pro-Israel sentiment in the Jewish community right now. So it's an interesting choice, and I don't think it's a dumb one.
1: It's not a dumb one. It's just I just don't know enough about her just yet to really, um, to, you know, give her a real opinion, or, or should I say opinion of what I think of her? But I also remembered Santos being very nervous that she was going to run against him in a primary in 24. Mm -hmm. And I just remembered, I said, well, what, what are you worried about with her? And he'd said the same thing. She's, she's Jewish and Ethiopian and she's Jewish like me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're still waiting for the 23 and me. (laughs) Right. Oh God. And I think, and there was this confidence that they had, that the Nassau GOP has with her and seeing that she has a local government, um, has local government experience and, I've always believed if you have that local government or even or whether it's local or state, um that is absolutely um, beneficial and crucial to a successful federal level run because you really do have a finger on the pulse with what is going on in your district. You know who the key players are, and you know how to best serve them. And mm-hmm. I think that's a leg up that I think she could have over Tom Swazi, even though he has been. You know, he's been in the political arena for or should I say elected office for I think over twenty years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with her as we as we all get to to learn about her and see her more. So let's let's talk about your former boss. Uh, you've called him quote, the most duplicitous politician in America. I'm curious to know the genesis of your relationship with him. How did you first get to him? How did you get on his radar? What brought you into that room where you were sitting across from each other? Like, how did that all go down?
1: It's so funny. I think it's actually been exactly a year since I accepted the job with him. Mm -hmm. So this is before, I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary when the New York Times article came out. Mm -hmm. So I was still in Boston working for um, Governor Baker's administration, which I knew was going to be coming to an end in January because he chose not to run for re-election. And so a friend of mine happened to know Santos's um, campaign consultant, and and had lunch with him, and said that Santos was looking for a communications director. And my friend said, "Well, I know the right, I know a good person." And he sent them my resume, and I was actually in the middle of interviewing for a job with um, with Hancock Investments for a PR position. And so I I looked at this and I said, I don't know who this guy is, because I was paying more attention to anything New England politics, but also um, paying attention to like the big races like in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and um, the Senate race out in Colorado as well. And so I had to really do a little research on him. So I went (laughs) to the campaign website. And so I read his biography on the website, which anyone would do when you're interviewing for a job. Looked so, good, didn't it? It looked great. <laughs> I thought, oh, this guy, is he's got a strong financial background. And given my position, I um, was spokesperson for the Massachusetts Department of Revenue. And so I had a strong background in economics slash tax policy while working in the Baker administration. So I thought, okay, this could be a good lineup here. by mm-hmm. saying so much a fiscal conservative. Looks like someone who's going to be this rising star in the GOP, kind of like our AOC, because, you know, he's young. He's the first gay elected um, Republican at the federal level. And I just thought, and he's from the Northeast. And being from the Northeast, like Northeast Republicans tend to be more, dare I say, moderate. So everything just seemed to line up. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this guy a shot, see what he's like, interviewed with – um the campaign manager turned uh, chief of staff and a couple other people. And one was, I think, a deputy and also the uh, campaign consultant. All went well, did my research on the um, the district. So I kind of had an idea of what, um, what this district was like. And thank God, not too many Yankees fans, no fans. Um, but then when it, I advanced to meet with Santos, he was – very engaging, very excited because he was just going through the um, new member orientation and just learning, you know, everything that you need to know when you're coming into office. And so he was on that high and just enjoying life. And so he gave me a couple of questions, um, like scenarios that, how would I handle this situation? And one of them was about Trump. And it was about, he had been, he had disregarded the the constitution and he said how would you respond to it and i i can't remember exactly what i said offhand, but it was something that he obviously liked because he said yes that's a bridge too far for me what trump said about disregarding the constitution and
0: as someone who wrote the constitution i find that offensive yeah i know that was probably his that was probably his answer well, yeah,
1: right? ben franklin's his <laughs> uncle <so.
0: Right>. well, <laughs> wait wasn't he ben franklin <laughs>
1: Or Betsy
0: Ross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or Betsy Ross. Oh my God. She went there. Oh. Give her two
1: I know, I give know. her
0: a cookie for that one.
1: Uh, you know, it it, it was a golden. I'm I'm just cookie.
0: sorry you beat me to it.
1: Well, you gotta be quick with me. So. I know. <laughs> but no, but it but I thought, okay, this is good. He's definitely and he even had made it clear, he just said I'm coming down here i don't want to be part of the partisan politics i actually want to vote for good policy Mm -hmm. and it's just maybe he did his homework on me Mm -hmm. who knows right
0: when you sat with him was there any part of you that was like is this guy for real like did you have any inkling that any of the bio stuff that like something was off here
1: i think the only thing that seemed a little off for me was just um the timeline with the jobs because Santos is very, like he and I are very close in age. We're just a couple years apart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, because I graduated from college when the economy pretty much tanked. And so millennials in my age group, we kind of, it took us a little longer to climb up any kind of career ladder for a little bit. And so maybe that was something that made me think, uh, are you sure? But also saying that he came from this affluent family and came from, um financial executives i thought well maybe a little bit of nepotism mm-hmm. could have here um and he was able to climb the ladder but at the same time we just and one of the things that i had talked about with him was you know what are your communications goals what do you want to achieve as a new freshman member and he even said to me he would like to become a um he wanted to build a national media profile and again, this is all before mm. the New York
0: article. He achieved and, that goal, didn't he?
1: No, oh, he did. <laughs> and I joked with him later on saying, well, congratulations, you're a national media profile. <laughs> but and um, but so I thought, okay, we can do this. And I just said, but you have to be open-minded to do more than just, you have to do more than Fox News. And Newsmax, I said, you have to be open to, because I had contact, media contacts with CNBC. And a lot of these financial outlets that would, if he's looking to go that route Mm -hmm. and, and I just said, but we have to work on it together. It's not an overnight deal. And he said, you're absolutely right. And I'm open to this. And I'm like, okay, so we're on the same page and we ended our Zoom. And I was told later on, he had said straight to the campaign manager turned chief of staff, hire her. I want her, hire her. And so I accepted the job. They, And then I'm literally in the last couple of days of my time with the Baker administration, and then boom, the New York Times article shows up, and I had actually been given a heads up about it, and we thought it was just going to be a traditional hit piece of Republican flips Dem's seat, and it thought it was just going to be something like that. And I even asked the um, my co- former colleague, is there anything i need to like anything crucial that i need to know that um that we may need to spend later on and he said well the only thing that i know is that george used to be married to a woman and i thought okay well that's not a big deal at all because there's so many you know gay men who came from these conservative backgrounds who were originally mm-hmm. married to women so that did not bother me whatsoever i thought if this is the worst that they have have at it. And then boom.
0: Mm-hmm. So that hit, that, that article hit before you were actually working for him.
1: Yes. Yeah, so here's the, so a little background for you. Um, whenever a member of Congress is elected, if they're a freshman member, you were only allowed one transition aid. And so for, for Santos, it was his campaign manager who became the transition aide, who would eventually become the um, Chief of Staff. So there's really I could not officially begin the job until January third.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was when my official start date is. So, in a way, I was not really, you know, between still working for um working in Massachusetts, I could not really do anything official just yet. But I used that opportunity just as everything was piling up to really start to draft out a new communications plan, which I called it Operation Second Chance where he really needed to work on doing an apology tour. And I, and then going on that interview with Tulsi Gabbard, was, it was brought to my attention. And I just thought, well, I think it was a little premature without real prep here. And I, they said, could you review some of the talking points? And I reviewed some, and I said, actually, let's add this, take this out, and then I'd like to have a phone conversation with them to prep. And which we all agreed, but the prep came less than 30 minutes before he was to go on with, um, with Tulsi Gabbard. And I thought, this, this isn't enough time. This is not, we're going to have our work cut out for us. And the, one of the things I had said to him was, well, you cannot compare yourself to President Biden. This is a completely different situation. Um, like, you really, you're really going to have to own these mistakes. You really you have to apologize like, do not compare yourself to Biden, Elizabeth Warren, any of these people, because this is, they did not lie about being Jewish and their family escaping. The and this is an this, important this is like distinction.
0: This is an important distinction because I think at the time of that article, obviously it was six months before the indictments, and it was largely just based on his lies, right? That he stretched the truth, he lied. It wasn't so much, if at all, pr- about criminality.
1: Yep, yeah, correct. And if it was just the lies about his background, It could have. It would eventually fade away, but you have to do it correctly. Right. You have to get ahead of it. You have to, and is it pains me to say this, but even Senator Menendez did it correctly. Um, When all the, I mean, that's a different level of bad, right there. But what he did was, you know, he got in front of the media. Mm -hmm. He went. He stood outside. He had a press conference. And he spoke in his own words and he did it on his own terms, but he did it in a way that it did not allow for the media to set the narrative. He set the narrative. Right. And that was what I wanted Santos to do. If he set the right narrative and you're not, if, you know, you can't duck for so long because the media is just going to go off of what is already being written. Because if you're not saying anything, what are they supposed to do? Mm-hmm.
0: And outside of an apology, what would that narrative have been? Like what would the story have been?
1: About if if he had done the apology or... No,
0: just like, you know, I lied because blah, blah, blah. Like, what would be yeah. the story that would make people go, oh, God, you know, I actually, I forgive him and I feel sorry for him. And I understand why he, you know, whether it's like I'm a young LGBTQ person, I feel persecuted, right. I was scared. I mean, there could have been a million things I guess he could have said that maybe it would have pulled at the heartstrings of some people, perhaps.
1: I don't... I agree. And I think if you, if you just let this be your mea culpa a little bit, actually just, you know what? I was really embarrassed about my background. Right, I was trying to succeed in life and I'm, you know, I obviously I went from embellishing and went straight into the lies Mm -hmm. and I kept building and building and building and now it has backfired. And let me be the example of someone who should have what how lying will eventually backfire right when you're succeed Mm -hmm. in life it's like let i hate to say but it's just like he could have been that example of i really screwed up but i am going to do everything i can to rebuild trust be a better person like that is what you should have done and i think people can there's a human level that people can understand and say you know what
0: people forgive a lot
1: i mean you know, I also grew up poor. Mm-hmm. I built myself into – I was limited on my – on um opportunities as well. And, you know, those are things that he could have been more relatable on. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem, too, is that there was such a fixation with him in the media that it just kept building and building and building. and And he enjoyed it. And right. I think it just created this celebrity that – the apology meant nothing anymore. And his constituents get to sit back, watch this unveil, and they still have contaminated water. And, um, you know, trying, it, it's just, they have problems and they're not being resolved or right. being properly.
0: But he definitely seemed to be enjoying it. And I think also in that enjoyment and pleasure came this defiance. And I think once his defiance locked in, and maybe he learned that from Donald Trump. And others. So he, he kind of crawled up under Trump's coattail and rode that wave that, you know, I'm a victim. It's all rigged. It's a witch hunt, blah, 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 which probably didn't make your job any easier.
1: <laughs> no, but it was a poor attempt. That's like the big difference. It's oh, that, really you know, poor attempt. A very poor attempt. But also, you know, and I'm Donald Trump actually has a base and a following of people who are loyal to him and they like him. Mm-hmm. This was a very very much different and you know you're not again you're not a victim you're not that was like one of the things I saw like with that famous press conference that Bo and Yang did a I would say an even better impersonation of than the real one but it's just remember you're not a bull you've not been bullied you are um you're not a victim in fact you know you just failed to even cooperate with the House Ethics Committee. So these are just He it, took a
0: dog's hospital money. Like
1: And that oh that one was hard for bad. me. That was I mean, like, yeah,
0: I would imagine you there's not much you can do with something like that, right?
1: And that no, and that's so this is a really and this is where um it, it was very hard for me as a as a communications director because, you know, I'm it's political communications is what I'm doing. And so when I'm seeing these inquiries that were starting to pop up, whether it was the very sad case of the homeless vet and the dying dog, Mm -hmm. or my favorite was the Burberry scarf being stolen, I thought, oh my God, we got bad roommate situation. And (laughs) it's at first I thought, what is with everyone in the 15 minutes of fame? This is driving me crazy right now, but also... I had to put that on the back burner a little bit because they were all popping up at the same time. And so I even went to George and I said, what, who is this? I said, is this, that? Is this true? Or because I've seen him with his dogs and he's this dog lover. And so I thought, no, there's no way, like this time I actually may believe, (laughs) I won't say believe, but it made me question because I've just seen him with animals. And I thought, no, this does not seem right. And I also thought once again, he ran twice. Why did this not come out publicly in the last few years? Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was really hard. And I had to just put it in a, put it aside and just focus on how I'm just going to guide him through this week in terms of messaging for, the votes that are coming up and, you know, things that are actually a priority to the congressional office. So that one was one of the hardest inquiries that I think I received was just about that because there is a ton of, I had a ton of sympathy for him or meaning for the, Mm -hmm. for the bet. but it's just, if this is true, this is so wrong.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because most people are not political junkies they don't really watch a lot of news. You know, they, they they just know some basic stuff. But it's guys like me who, when shit like that is going down, like we think about the comms director. You know, like, oh, my God, what are they going through right now? Because most people don't even know what a comms director is or if there is, even is one. So then these indictments come down. The original 13 come down in May, and that's the time. you said, I'm done. I've had enough. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely that was the time and because we did not see this coming and I remembered that it was on a I think it was on a Monday because he was back in DC it was a fly-in day and boats are typically at least around 6 30 in the evening on a fly-in day so that I gave his members enough time to get back into Washington DC and the chief of staff had come back into our office and said and his face was completely white as a ghost and said, George is on his way back to Long Island. And I just said, we're three hours away until votes. What's going on? And he said, he's being indicted tomorrow. And my stomach just dropped. I never, ever thought this was happening because you have to remember, I kept myself completely out of anything legal with him, campaign-related, legal-related. I I was strictly the Congregations Director for Congressman George Santos. And so I just said, this is bad. This is like, this is really, really bad. And so, um, and I just said, do we know if any reporters are aware of this? And he said, not yet. And I said, well, okay, I think we need to, we need to close shop up really quickly here. And so without giving the staff any idea of what is going on, we just said, we're going to work from home the rest of the week because we knew- that the reporters were all going to hang out in front of the office. Mm -hmm. And so, and I already had enough issues with certain staffers who love to talk to reporters, um, behind, uh, senior staffs back. So anyway, we, that announcement was made. And then all of a sudden my personal phone and my work phone were blowing up. And I said, well, time's up. I said, they know we've got to go. And so I, um, and, and they're all saying, is it true? Is he being arraigned tomorrow? Is he arrested? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And obviously, again, I cannot comment on it because it's a legal matter. Right. And so everyone has left and I'm the last person to leave. And then there's this, I mean, we're talking like it, it, it was Kardashian level press in front of our office. And they just chased me to the elevator and just screaming at me. And this is something that is never, it has never been done to a Hill staffer ever. And I have known people in um, House and Senate uh, leadership and they said, I have never been treated like that. And it w- went way too far with me. People just screaming, your mm. communications director. What can you tell us? You've got to tell us something and just yelling. And I, it's just, that's it.
0: It would seem like that would be the worst day you've had with him. But, given it's George Santos, there could be others. but what was that the worst day?
1: That, I think, would have to go down as the worst day because this was when reporters had I always have had this great relationship with the Capitol Hill reporters. Mm-hmm. And it it but to go after a staffer like that, it was not just it was more than a bridge too far. and but also, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not going to be able to control the messaging anymore. And he's never going to find any kind of sponsorship for any of his bills. He's not going – there's no way – it's just – there's no way he – I don't even know if he's going to be in office anymore. And I thought that back in May. And after this had happened, I had personally sought out um, some communications professionals outside of Capitol Hill to get their advice. And they all said to me separately, you've got two options. If I were advising a client, you either get out now or you wait until the end. But if you wait until the end, this could be far more damaging to you professionally. And and so that's when, and mentally, I'm already checked out at this point. See, you were just, basically
0: standing on the bow of the Titanic. Like you saw the <laughs> iceberg and you were like...
1: I saw the iceberg. <laughs> the ocean
0: seems better right now. <laughs> the
1: little, and then there's the door that Kate Winslet had, you know, right. decided to... You know, <laughs> selfishly lay on and let Leo die. But, you know, that's my, you know, Mm -hmm. gripe about it, but no, it was time. But also I just, it was just upsetting because like I went from Charlie Baker to George Santos and it's just, I had put so much energy into just trying to right the wrong of this individual. And that part was that if, you know, people, well, someone once asked me, do you think he could have been redeemable? And I said, yes, but you have to want it. Yeah. And I wasn't seeking anymore. This was someone who was not interested to be redeemed. He was just enjoying this level celebrity. That um, it was. I don't think I've ever seen in a member of Congress ever. No, and... It was like
0: a like you know a beast was created, and he was so insatiable that you can never feed that beast, even to his own detriment and his own incrimination i'd watch him and i'd be like what is he doing he just seemed out of control what would you say was your best day with him
1: my best day um i think any day my best days were just when you know i i felt like for me it was when i put him on with uh Piers morgan because for me we had this the press were hanging out in front of our office from january 3rd and all the like through the entire month of january And then going well into February, and I said, that's it. This needs to stop. And it was my opportunity to really just, even though Piers Morgan wasn't my first choice, I wanted him to do a sit-down with, um, I was thinking someone more along the line of, whether it was Dana Bash or Chuck Todd, just a, a Sunday show host who would cast a very wide audience. And so... But then he was giving me these excuses of, oh, this person's too liberal, this person is media biased and everything. Well, they're all going, even if you go from, whether you're on with Chuck Todd or Tucker Carlson, they're all going to be extremely tough on you, no matter who you go with. And so my vision was then, all right, let's do Piers Morgan, because number one, he's British. He does not have any type of political opinion when it comes to American politics. I think he's pretty much middle of the road. He's just good. He's an equal opportunist when it comes to attacking a Republican and attacking a Democrat. So, and he, and he was great. I thought it was a very successful interview because he hit him on a lot of things, but also he gave him the grace period to answer and then he moved on. And so, in that, because of that interview, the media left and I had him quiet during the month of March. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I to so, get back to normal.
0: <laughs> so if, if we had Dr. Deborah Burks here right now talking with us, and I asked her what was the most insane moment of your time with Trump, she'd probably say, oh, it was in the briefing room when he suggested to America that they inject bleach to fight COVID. So I want to know what was your most insane moment with Santos?
1: now you're really going to make me think because there's a <laughs> <laughs> funny story about Dr. Burke. She's actually originally from the same part of Pennsylvania that I was born. Oh, cool. Oh, so, sorry. I had to throw that in there. Um, most insane thing he did. Um, I wouldn't say it was insane, but it was just leaving out like the food for the reporters. He was putting Chick-fil-A and cupcakes and donuts and it's just, this is just incur to me, it was, even though it was funny, but it was also, well, you're encouraging them to stay. And so I just said, what do you get out of this? If you're, li- you're leaving them, you know, Chick-fil-A sandwiches and uh, cupcakes, I said, you know, next day they're going to expect a gourmet meal. So I just said, what were you hoping? He said, well, they deserve to be fed and, you know, we want to be nice. They deserve
0: said, to be fed and lied to.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, but also I had, <laughs> but I had said that, but they want a sound bite. They don't care. Like you can feed them until the dawn's early light. Right. But they want their sound bite. And once they get it, they will move on. And that is what every reporter that I had coffee with would say to me. Like, I can't leave my spot until we get something from Santos, whether, and, you know, whether it was from their outlet or another. They needed something, and until then, their editor was basically saying, "You're staying in front of one 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 seven Longworth until further notice."
0: Mm. A, not a building, by the way, that he almost burned down once, right? Long- yeah,
1: yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> you read that one too? I remember. It, I came into the office one day, and he had he had this giant ass Yankee candle, <laughs> and it's I I mean, it would I would. The worst headache from it because it just the smell of it was just so it was very, very or something. Uh, no, it was some like tropical, um, scent. And and it's just when you're in it, it because it was so I don't know, it just wafted through the entire office. But I just remember walking through the front door and I thought, holy crap, he it, it this thing is, it, it was just it smelled like it had been bur- um, burning for quite a while and there's no one in the office so I walk over into it because the candle's in his office so I walk in and it's there and oh cool so we're going to burn down one word and I went to blow it out and move it and my burned my hand I'm like oh my god this has been burning for hours god. and he came in 10 minutes later and I just said did you forget to blow out your candle last night or something he's like oh my god I did
0: That would have been such a fitting punctuation on his legacy, wouldn't it be? And he burned down the Capitol. Um, Let's do a little fun lightning round and try to be, keep it to yes or no, or if you have to elaborate, we'll give you that license. Is he a genius? No. Is he a narcissist? Yes. Is he a sociopath? Probably. Is he insane? Ish. Is he capable of love? Yes. Is he capable of being loved? Sometimes. Does he have friends? Real or fake? <laughs> Perfect answer. Um, either. <laughs> it's George, so either. Either one. Real. Let's start with real friends. Does he have real friends? Like you and I have Honestly, real friends.
1: I don't know. But I he, genuinely don't know.
0: But he has like Marjorie Taylor Greene friends. Yeah. Okay. Cat or dog? Dog. Is he going to end up on Dancing with the Stars?
1: Hell no. I hope not. Survivor. Uh, very doubtful.
0: Love Island.
1: That show will be canceled.
0: How about a new show called The Grifting Bachelor?
1: Um, as long as he's the host.
0: I think he's going to end up on Dateline. That's just me. How about prison? Is he going to end up in prison?
1: I think that's going to have to end. That's something that the courts are going to have to decide. I mean, yes, I've seen what the counts are, and I think he's even in some sort of a plea negotiation mm-hmm. right now. So, mm-hmm. um, I, My guess is most like leaning yes, because even his former treasurer will be serving some jail time, even though she entered into a plea of guilty. And so, I mean, though she's receiving a reduced sentence, something tells me he'll probably also, I'm going to guess, yes.
0: Okay. And before I ask my next question, I'm going to preface it by a quote you made in your "Maya culpa in The Hill in okay. September, which I'm going to get to in a few minutes. But in that piece, you said, well, quote... You. While he may wish to make millions in his post-political life, Netflix will likely pass on giving Santos a platform. Hollywood giants like Ryan Murphy are more likely to consider George Santos for the next American crime story. Well, here we are in December, and we know that HBO is going to make a movie about George Santos. So my last question in our lightning round, who plays George? Oh, my
1: gosh. That's really hard. I, okay, so I have to say...
0: You can't say Bowen Yang.
1: No. Oh, damn it. No. Um, I actually, the the actor from Veep, which I used to watch the show religiously, he was Will uh, on Veep. I don't and watch that James show. And has had him on um, doing like these funny Santos stunts. And I think, I can't think of the actor's name, but I think he should be, um he should play George. He has the look. I think his height is very similar because George mm-hmm. is a very tall man. hmm so oh, I think he's about 6'3", and it looks like the actor is about the same, and I think he's got the, the mannerisms down, so I, I nominate the, the actor from Beep.
0: Now, what if I asked George that question, who should play him? Now, given the fact that he's he's a drag performer, like your answers could be an actor or an actress. So who do you think he'd say should play Probably
1: him? Probably would want someone very hot like John Hamm or... Bradley Cooper or something. That's, I, I mean, if I were guessing. Or Jennifer Lawrence. Gen- yeah, it could be Jennifer Lawrence or, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, I feel like even someone like Christine Baranski would be great mm. as well. I,
0: mean, I think if just, I had George I, Santos in front of me, I, I literally, kid you not, I think the one question I want to ask him the most is, who should play you in the movie, George? Because <laughs> I think that answer would be unbelievable. It would probably be shocking. It would be no one, anyone thought of.
1: Probably would be. be like and Britney
0: Spears. Like it, like anything can it, come out of his mouth.
1: I'd say it might as well just be Christina Aguilera at this point. Let's just add some <laughs> real competition or Taylor Swift. I mean, you know. <laughs> there you
0: go. Tay Tay. So I do want it to mention be- in, in September, you wrote a piece in The Hill. I'm going to quote from that. You wrote. This is just part of it. Do people believe that I had knowledge of the behavior that drove the allegations against him before the press made it public? I did not. I cannot help but wonder if I am tainted in a way that will make it difficult to find work in politics again. I hope not. I pray not. And then you also said, I could no longer tolerate his lack of honor, office dysfunction, and unmanageable chaotic behavior. At the end of the day, I was willing to sacrifice a paycheck to walk away with my integrity. Are you comfortable that you did walk away with your integrity? Are you still worried about employment? Do you think there's collateral damage to you, even though it was a short amount of time in a career that spanned a lot longer? And you do have a resume that predates Santos.
1: I would say mentally a lot stronger. Mm -hmm. That is like one of the things that I can't say. It was one of the hardest decisions that I ever made was to resign from this position. And because for, I would say, even just weeks after resigning, I thought I'm done. I'm, so this is, I'm, I'm ruined is what I genuinely believed for a short time. But then there were people who would say to me, no, oh, you're not. You handled one of the most unprecedented congressional crises. Your, your crisis communications is probably some of like top tier and, in a way I have always, and I have believed that I handled one of the most unprecedented crises, and one of the craziest things that I tell people and they probably say, oh, get help, Nisa, is I never cried a single day. through All of the chaos never shed a tear. Just if I shed a tear, it was out of the sweat and frustration of what I dealt with. But um, one of the things that I have done in these past months was I gave myself that time to kind of think about what I want to do next, give myself a break. And above all, I, you know, what I've been doing, just talking to the media, but also just showing that there was a capable and level-headed person who was working in that office and had every intention was Mm well-intentioned. And every interview I have done, people have said to me throughout, across the country saying, you know, highly impressed. You you know, you're well-spoken, great interviews and wishing me all the best. And the feedback's been absolutely great. And um, it's given me great confidence since um, I started actually, you know, just taking a step forward and, you know, getting myself out there and defending myself.
0: Well, I think anyone who somehow inextricably ties you in a negative way to George Santos is both myopic and terribly unfair. I mean, you were hired to do a job and then the shit hit the fan and you saw that in the context of your job before the real shit hit the fan, which was the indictments. And you're not George Santos. You didn't do the things George Santos did. Your job was to defend George Santos. But what is it that you want to do next? Where do you see yourself going?
1: I would absolutely love to just... I've I really enjoyed offering political commentary on, on MSNBC. I genuinely enjoyed uh, my rapport with um, Ari Melber, and I obviously I really enjoyed speaking with both Phil Mattingly and Jim Acosta. So I think it's always great to have a new, uh, fresh perspective from a Republican woman to offer on television. So I've enjoyed the political commentary... Obviously, I would love to get into public relations and really just be able, because not only can I advise someone, not just in politics, but even in a corporate setting as well now, mm-hmm. with, my, with my media connections and just being able to speak on someone's behalf, and I think I've been able to deliver that for myself personally. And who knows? I would love to even write a book.
0: I was going to you know? ask you, is there a book coming? Because <laughs> I have a few titles that I can suggest. Most of them are well, musical. Most I of them are musical, so we could start with the Grateful Dead. One would w- would be what a long, strange, what a short, strange trip it's been. Uh, that's <laughs> that's number one. <laughs> you could uh, go with my favorite band, the Beatles. Just go with "Help!" exclamation point. Um, oh, on
1: the Walking road, the, the
0: long and wa- yeah, I mean the, 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 you could just tap into music. <laughs> the the possibilities are endless. But I think not only should you write a book, but my prediction is. You will write a book because that would be a fascinating, fun, interesting, compelling uh, book. So well, that's well my I, pitch. That's I, my I, elevator pitch for you.
1: <laughs> well, I love the elevator pitch, it, but I, I really appreciate it too. And I and I wouldn't go the the Cassidy Hutchinson route. I would rather I humor is what got me through the the toughest of tough times. And it, in another title that I would have I thought of was <laughs> it got weird. Mm. But even though that's probably not what I would go with, but, or at least a chapter. But But I think you're, I think
0: you're right. You know, and I was impressed with your humor when I heard you on Acosta uh, and you don't take yourself seriously and you look at this through the lens of humor. I mean, I have a personal tragedy in my life. My wife, when she was 40 years old in 2006, she was murdered. She was a actor and filmmaker. She wrote, directed and starred in the movie Waitress, which became the Broadway musical. Yeah. Adrian Adrienne Shelley. So that was, that was my wife. Carrie
1: Russell in the movie. Russell Russell's was that-
0: in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I had done 10 years of stand-up comedy back in the day. So when tragedy struck my life, it all went through the lens of humor. So I get that. And I think a book about your episode with George as sort of told through the lens of wit and wisdom and humor and comedy, it'll be a great book. If I was a gambling man, I'd bet you're going to write a book. What was your- I'll take you up. What would you say is your biggest regret from that whole period?
1: Um, Some days I felt like maybe not leaving soon enough. But I guess because I'm a perfectionist and a professional, it's like, no, I am not backing down from a challenge and I want to make this right. Because in my belief, it's always been the best revenge that you could ever get in life is by proving others wrong. Absolutely. one of the hardest things that I personally had to know going into this job was... I would, I went into this knowing that the country wants you to fail, like they're rooting for his failure and his failure would, if that happens, then it becomes my failure. And that was something that I refused to back down on. And it was probably one of the hardest, not even one of the hardest pills, but like the biggest pill to swallow. It was just so difficult knowing that you should not wish for someone's failure you know and i even and i regret ever saying this to george because i put it in his, in his statement for the state of the union saying i do not wish for the failure of president biden because his failure becomes the country's and so and it's like damn it he's using my words i hate this but um but no i would say that would be my one regret and i guess the other one would be if i had thought about this it, you know even after all the media started to come out about him after the Times story I should have asked for a second interview saying, can I have an interview with the real George Santos?
0: Mm. Who do you think would have showed up?
1: Tatara? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, and that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, it was so hard because I'd never met this man before and I'm going into this job making, I have to get to know him as a member of Congress, mm. as a human being and what the voice needs to be when he is in office. Because, that's like the biggest challenge when you become a communications director for an elect, whether it's an elected official or, Mm -hmm. uh, or any, like it's just, that's, I always say that's your biggest challenge. You have to understand their voice. And for a freshman, they don't know their voice yet.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's, and maybe just pouncing him a little harder on, um, wanting to just really... I had an awkward conversation with him about the death of his mother,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I should never have to have that type of a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And maybe just pouncing harder on all these lies, saying, all right, you need to start telling me the damn truth. Mm-hmm. I can't. This is too much because one second you're telling me something, I provide a response, and weeks later we find out you still lied to me, who the person who's trying to... um Clean up your mess.
0: Well, there's three people in this world you probably shouldn't lie to for sure. One is your lawyer, another is your doctor, uh, another is your comms director, <laughs> for sure.
1: I'm going to use that in the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, as long as you credit me, it's it's yours.
1: I will credit. I will 100 percent. My credit last
0: you. my last question <laughs> is: in every tragic situation, is often a s- silver lining. What would you say is a silver lining for you? What did you take away from this episode that actually makes you a better person?
1: That I think there's a few silver linings here. It's one, I think that I've got to meet some, there's really a lot of good people that I got to meet um, through this experience and whether, it, and I could list off a few people and that includes you know, actually obviously getting to know you, for instance, and getting to know people like actually Chuck Todd was someone that I had the privilege of meeting. And just, they always say, you know, sometimes when you meet the people that you admire, it disappoints you. And having met Chuck Todd, I thought, well, this was, it exceeded my expectations. So like, for instance, that was something that Came of it, but also getting to know people in his district, people who actually would compliment and say, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. And just trying to be a good face for someone who maybe did not deserve that type of, um, you know, credit. But also just even, like I said, being able to, these opportunities just to, you know, give myself a voice, you know, publicly that's something that most people are not able to do and it's just you know i have to embrace it but above all just be grateful
0: yeah well this is certainly a fascinating chapter in our political history and i appreciate you coming on and being so generous with your time and helping us maybe try to understand it a little bit better i think we're going to be unpacking this for a long time trying to figure that <laughs> dude out and his and his story is not over yet nor is yours i think there's i think there's good things ahead for you so thanks again for coming on thank you take care all right Bye-bye. bye 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 This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week.